Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Brad Large. Hey, everybody. Forsyth. Hey, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we're going to be talking about content marketing through podcasting. This episode is sponsored by Cloudways. If you're running a business, then you need a website, and your website needs to be up 24-7. You probably want support. I mean, let's face it, cloud hosting is a pain in the butt. And if you're really looking for a solution, you probably want something that will support WordPress or Magento or something that you can build up on your own without having to be an expert in running all of this stuff. So why not go with a solution that will provide all of this with 24-7 support, high availability, and will run your website with high performance and reliability. This is why I recommend that you check out Cloudways. Go check out Cloudways at cloudways.com. Use the promo code DEVCHAT for 30% off for three months on all plans, um, which is something that I, I know a bit about. I don't know if either of you have benefited from podcasting yet or not, as far as your businesses go. Not, not yet. Still waiting for uh, someone to mention it, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I've had a few people, I've had a few people comment about, uh, you know, the, the effect that the perception that it has on, you know, my reputation in the community for sure. So because I'm talking about freelancing and because I've, you know, brought up what I do and they know that I do that on the, you know, as a side hustle, then it's kind of enhanced my reputation and kind of made me seem more serious about it. I think uh, within like the freelancer and mm-hmm. Salesforce side of things. Um, but I haven't, you know, obviously this isn't my ideal audience for finding clients most of the time, other freelancers, but, uh, you know, it has helped me with my reputation in that regard. Yeah. Makes sense. And, uh, yeah, I mean, over the course of my freelancing career, I actually, I I got all kinds of contracts and stuff from people, um, who were listening to the shows and, um, wanted to hire me. Um, when I first started podcasting, which was in like 2006, um, so I started a podcast called rails coach and I was just talking about Ruby on rails development stuff. And, um, I got hired off of that a bunch of times. And basically what it boiled down to was, um, uh, people heard me talk about the subject matter and then, uh, basically counted me as an expert and then would call me up and want to hire me. And even after we started Ruby rogues and JavaScript jabber, um, you know, I, I'd get contracts off of that. Things would slow down and I'd just be like, hey, I've got a, I've got some free time coming up and I'd have two or three people reach out to me wanting to hire me pretty much right away. So, so that does work. That brings up some questions on my end. So I, I kind of like knew when I got into this, like I would be talking to like peers and those yes. sometimes can be uh, helpful for finding work, but oftentimes, uh, like in my situation, it's not a direct correlation. Like, sure, there are freelancers out there who might want to use Salesforce uh, right. and you know contact me about that. However, uh, you know the vast majority of people are are just you know probably not in that boat, um, and they're they're doing their other stuff. So when you were doing the because you you've been doing technology podcasting and talking about those technologies, right? Were there specific things that you noticed that you could do to kind of speak more to those leads that you wanted to attract? Yeah. So let let me talk a little bit about the positioning because it sounds like that's kind of what you're aiming at. So so in my case, we were reaching people who would have been my colleagues, right? My peers typically, not always, but typically the people who were listening um, worked with or for um, the companies that were going to hire me, right? So they weren't, they weren't my direct ideal client. They were actually uh, people who were already working for those clients, right? And then those folks would reach out to me and say, you know, my, my tech guy says that you're top notch and we should hire you. Um, and so that, that's how that worked for me. And it, and it does work, but you you have to have a a wider net in that case because what ended up happening was I still had to sort of prove myself to the people who were, um, uh, you know, who were actually out there trying to find the work because they weren't my listeners. Right. Um, so, so, so yeah, so there was definitely that, um, the, how do I put it? 
the the flip side is is that I you know I could actually wind up doing a show that specifically targeted my audience, but then it would have been about like startup uh, IT or startup programming or things like that, right? And so I could essentially be giving the kind of advice that my that that my target our audience would want from a technical person like me. And so I'd be speaking essentially like their CTO and I'd be trying to cover the kinds of things that would come up in our meetings or things like that. So that, that's, that's one thing that I've seen work um, much more frequently than what I did. But because we had such a large programmer audience, I'd get some bleed over from people who were technical or the other instance, and this happened a lot actually, is that somebody would get in and they'd start, they'd, they'd start working on whatever it was that they wanted to build. And then they'd figure out, oh, this is freaking hard to learn how to program and then to build my app. And that's when they would call me. But as part of their learning process to learn how to code it in the first place, they'd start listening to our shows. And then I would mention on the show, hey, I'm a freelancer that does this. And they'd wind up hiring me that way. So is that, which route would you recommend? I, I think most of, or some of our audience at least is... Uh, developers trying to get into freelancing, right? So, right. which which route would you recommend going? Would would you right. like which so one? If, yeah. If I were a developer, and I'm just going to use an example, uh, let's say that you're a Shopify developer, right? So you yeah. build plugins and integrations for Shopify. You know, Salesforce is another example um, yeah. that, that we could use that's relevant for Brad, right? Um, it's it's much easier to do if you have that niche, right? So you make, you make sure that you're into that niche. You're talking about Salesforce or Shopify, um, but you're not making a show about what you do, right? So you're not making a show about Salesforce integrations or Shopify integrations because the only people who are going to care about that are your colleagues and peers and not your audience, right? Yeah. You can, you can do that show too, and it adds a ton of credibility, right? So when you go and talk to people during your sales call, you can say, hey, look, I'm one of the foremost experts in Salesforce integrations. And, um, and so, you know, you, you, you would want to hire me. Look, this is a podcast that I do about building Salesforce integrations. And, you know, 2,000 of my colleagues actually listen to it every week. I mean, that gives you a ton of credibility. It shows that, hey, you're going to hire a real expert, right? But that's during the sales phase. It's not during the prospecting phase. Yeah. And so if you're looking for people or looking for ways to attract people as prospects, right? And that's usually where people run into the problem as freelancers or business people is getting people into the top of the funnel, not Absolutely. getting people to buy once you have them on the phone. That's just a matter of proving that, you know, you're the kind of person that they're going to want to hire. Yeah. That they like you and, and yeah. you know what you're talking about. And that right. for me, definitely, so, that's what I find easier. Right. But it's getting the first yeah. call. So for the Shopify um, contractor or the um, the uh, Salesforce contractor, sorry, my brain is in six different places this morning. Um, so, so for both of those approaches, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to be talking about how to succeed with Salesforce or how to succeed with Shopify, right? And so you can talk about some of the types of integrations you're going to want and why you're going to want them, right? And so you're talking about ROI on those integrations instead of talking about how those integrations go together. Um, yeah. You know, you're going to be talking about how to maximize your profit on, on Shopify, or you're going to be talking about how to um, set up a sales pipeline in Salesforce. And those are going to be the things, right? Because they're directly applicable and they're going to pay off for those folks, right? And then you just mention periodically, okay, this week we're going to go a little bit more technical and we're going to talk about what kinds of integrations, custom integrations you can have on Shopify or on Salesforce. Right. And so you do those every two, maybe three months. You do that episode and then you basically point out, and you can, you can also just throw it in as part of your spiel on your episodes is, you know, so I build Shopify or I build Salesforce integrations. Um, you know, these are some of the ones that I've built. So if you want to hire me, you know, you just put that spiel in the middle or at the end of your show. And so then what happens is they start thinking, if they start thinking, oh, well, I need something like that. 
then you're the first person they think of because they already think of you in a, as an expert in Shopify or Salesforce. And, and so what you wind up doing is you wind up lowering the barrier to entry for them to use the tool that you already have expertise in. And then you also wind up being that trusted voice that allows you to essentially overcome any objections based on anybody else that they think they're going to go hire because they know that they can count on you to get the job done right. So I, it's funny because when I started doing YouTube videos, that's exactly what I, I did. I lowered the barrier to entry and I wasn't targeting, like this was a, a big experiment for me. Like I had been mm -hmm. trying to go freelance for a long time and I finally was like, you know what, I'm going to try this like marketing flywheel thing and try to get some leads in. And because I'd, I'd listened to this show and other you know people that had been on the show, I, I figured, okay, who am I really targeting here? And what questions are they asking about this product? Because me as a developer on Salesforce, I'm asking like, well, how many integrations is it going to let me do? And you know, for the base level package, what can I do with it? And what are the limitations? And, and really, um, the, the ideal clients for me that I was targeting, they weren't asking those same questions. They were asking things initially. Uh, because in all honesty, they didn't know what they don't know about a technology product as a non-technologist. So there's just right. so many assumptions that I can make on my side that they just don't have because they're not in the space. But taking it and looking at from their perspective and saying, okay, what, what's the first thing they're going to want to do here? Well, Salesforce is huge on automating that lead uh, mm. pipeline, like you said. So how do I set that up? Well, here's how you set it up. And here are a lot of cool things that you can do with it. And then what ended up happening was the people actually contacted me because they got into it. They're like, well, I'm not really a technologist. So this is more difficult than I thought, but it's definitely worthwhile. Um, and I got some of my first coaching clients from those videos. And, you know, it's funny because it's, I did those, I think three or four months ago, I started, I'm not really sure. And the amount of attention that my videos have gotten by answering those generic questions about the platform uh, has just gone through the roof. Like uh, I went from struggling to get a few hours worth of views on YouTube to, you know, getting 30 hours in the last month on a couple videos. Uh, so it really does pick up over time if you, if you target the right audience, I feel like, and, and if you figure out what questions they're asking, you know, as far as the positioning piece goes. And, you know, a podcast would be the same way. You'd want to mm -hmm. look at that and say, okay, what, what are these questions? What pain points can I solve for these people that they're going to hit right out of the gate so that you can kind of walk them along and build your expertise at the same time? Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is you can tailor it to what you do, right? So you talk about these basics that gets them in the door. You're giving them value up front. They feel like they, some of them probably feel like they owe you something. Um, I mean, when I've published my book, for example, I had a bunch of people come to me and say, I don't need your book. I don't actually want your book, but this is a way for me to, you know, drop some money and your way and, and get, you know, and say thanks. So that's one thing to, you know, be aware of. But the other thing is, is that, um, so, so you, essentially what I'm saying is you build goodwill doing it. But the other thing is, is you can, you can kind of walk right up to the door of what you do, right? So you can say, you may want Salesforce to integrate with Asana or Trello or, you know, this, that, or the other, right? And so right. if you need these level of integrations, there are these plugins and they have these basic capabilities, but you can customize it, right? And so you can Definitely. say, here are the basic um, abilities of this particular plugin or add-on. And then you can say, but you know, so, so then, you know, what if I need more, right? And so you have that section of the show or you have that on another show and it's like, okay, this is a follow on to the Trello episode. Here are all of the other things that the APIs between the two could potentially open you up to, but you're going to have to hire a developer like me to do it. And yeah, so then you're, you're essentially thing. giving, because people care about the ROI. They do not care about the technical details. And so exactly. if you can give them the vision of the ROI that you're trying to create for them. Hey, look, there are these other things that you could do integrating Salesforce with Asana. And so, you know, if you want to hire a developer, I'm here. I've worked with both of these APIs before. Um, and even if you just want to sit down and brainstorm about what's possible, you know, here's how you get a hold of me. 
But then, but sure. then you can give people that idea of how they can increase the ROI, be that taking less time, spending less money, or making the tool easier to use. And all of those are ROIs that are worth pursuing for most of these folks. Oh, definitely. What, um, how, how do you generate, I mean, on these technical podcasts, you know, or even this podcast, we have guests come on. Is, is that the best way to generate content for your podcast? Is that what you recommend? It depends, right? Um, so there are a few formats that podcasts tend to take. Um, one of them is is just a single host talking about a topic, you know, periodically, um, and that's probably the most common uh, setup that I see for sort of the freelancer setup. Right? Is yeah. that you know I'm an expert, and so I'm going to talk about the things that I have expertise in, and that right. works if you'll stick to it. And that's the real kicker is that a lot of people get in, and then they start figuring out, oh wow, you know, I have to edit this, I have to, you know, I have to do all this work to get the episodes out. And so um, they, they find that they're not consistent after a certain amount of time. And so they run out of steam. And so it's got to be something that you really do enjoy talking about and working on and, and, you know, or, you know, you have to give yourself the discipline to do it. The way that I, we do it is we actually just have a regular recording time every week, as yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, then we just show up and record and that's how that gets done. Um. For some of the other ones, there's the interview show, um, and we do a few of those, like my Ruby story, my Angular story, and my JavaScript story. And on those, typically what I do is I actually just put up a, a calendar link, so you can go to Calendly, or what are some of the other ones? Uh, I don't know, but they're awesome. Schedule once. Um, we're using HubSpot right now. I recently picked up a tool that uh, Felipe Millen pointed out to us on his episode called Gmailius. And I just talked to them and they're looking to put in a calendar scheduling thing within the next month or so, cool. which honestly would be so nice for us because I'm, I'm switching over because it's, it's way nicer than HubSpot for, for our CRM. But uh, anyway, so you have a lot of options for scheduling, right? And then it shows up in my calendar. And so I just have to be sitting at my desk and willing to have the conversation. And so that works. I've seen folks that do like two hosts. And so there are two co-hosts and they just, sit there and riff against one another. And sometimes that's easier, right? Because one of you will have more expertise or different expertise than the other. And so that can pay off. Anyway, there are a lot of different options. You know, we do the panel style uh, shows on here and that seems to work out well for folks. So it really depends on, um, you know, what you'll stick to and what, what works for you as far as format. Because some people are really comfortable having a conversation on a show like this with a few other people and other people are, they just aren't right. You know, they'd rather just do it solo. And so, you know, try, try a few out and see what works. Do you think the, the format of the podcast, do you think that there are like, uh, well, so I'm just thinking through it and I'm like, okay, so the reason I like the freelancer show is the panel. So I would mm -hmm. love hearing, you know, all different kinds of perspectives, uh, Eric Davis and Jonathan Stark and, you know, special guests like Kurt Elster and, you know, Kai Davis, there's tons right. of like what I consider like the freelance superstars, right? Like yep. people that, because I've been paying attention to them for a while, but, but getting those different perspectives, you know, I, I feel like that's a particular type of feel, right? And maybe if you're doing this for lead generation, you would kind of, I'm thinking to other shows like Two Bobs with uh, Blair Enns and David C. Baker, where they go through and, you know, they, they talk about marketing agencies. Well, mm -hmm. they're building expertise with each other. That seems like a symbiotic relationship there uh, where they're kind of building off each other and reinforcing expertise and kind of getting their personality out there yep. for people to see. Right. And then I, you know, I see like the Seth Godin style where he basically just riffs about different uh, ideas and, and, you know, he, he talks from his own perspective. And so I could see for lead generation that, um, maybe the, the, like two hosts, like co-hosts, like you were talking about, or the single show might be better because you can actually drive that, uh, maybe a little bit more, or am I completely off base? No, you're correct. A few other things though, that you may have overlooked in your summary are that, um, on the interview style deals and let's let's go back to the uh say uh not salesforce but to the um uh, shopify example for a minute 
Um, so last year I went to MicroConf. It was in Las Vegas. And um, I was talking to a company that builds, um, in particular, they have a handful of plugins for Shopify, right? So they maintain those. They build custom ones too, but their main focus is those handful of plugins, right? Mm-hmm. And so they maintain those and people pay every month a subscription to use them. And we were talking and I'm like, why don't you guys have a podcast? And they're like, well, we don't want to talk about the thing we do day in and day out. And I'm like, that's fine. Talk about all of the adjacent stuff, right? So go talk about the other plugins that don't do what yours do, but work nicely with it, right? And what you wind up doing there is then what happens is when somebody is talking to company ABC and your company DEF, and you both do different things, as they're talking to their customers and their customers express a need that your solution solves, then they may refer them to you. They may even say, hey, look, we did a podcast about this with them. And so what happens there is now you're the expert that all of the adjacent technologies are referring people to because they know you. And so you can, you can get a lot of mileage out of interviews, a lot of mileage. And you can also interview your direct competitors, right? And talk about, you know, you can contrast what they do with what you do. And essentially then it's, so clients who need this approach to this problem, go hire him. And people who need this other approach to the same problem, come hire me, right? Yeah. Because one size doesn't always fit all. And so you you can play these games depending on what you're, positioning is and you can use your podcast to make connections just as easily as you can use your podcast to build expertise or to demonstrate expertise and so it all depends on how you want to position yourself and who you want to position yourself with yeah that's a really good call out and i love the fact that you know and it's this is something that i think is like not as prevalent but you know when freelancing if if you're specializing down then some people that at first glance you're like oh i have competitors but you know, if you're getting more specific about what you do and the problems that you solve, then you can form more of those relationships where you have people that see you as an expert in what you do and you can, you know, refer people between you because you know the the very specific things that you solve are, you know, different. They're going to have different outcomes for your customers. So instead of being scared of having those relationships, you can just embrace it. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Yeah, the other the other thing though is that um, so if you have your ideal customer kind of outlined in your head, um, and this is this is another kind of tangent point to what I was saying before, um, even if you solve the same problem for the same group of people, your ideal client might be the hard charging. They're going to come in here and they're they're basically you know coming into pillage and take names and and all of that stuff. And you may love working with those people, right? You, you love kind of the, the, the hatchet-nosed approach to everything in business. And then, um, but your competitor, that may drive them absolutely nuts, right? I don't want to have anything to do with those people. They drive me nuts. They're pushy. They're overbearing, blah, 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 blah. And so, you know, you can kind of, you know, work things out so that, even though they're a direct competitor and you're competing for a lot of the same business, you're going to be happy with a completely different type of client. And so you can, you can work that out too and do the two host show around the same topics and you both benefit because a certain segment are going to identify with them and then the other segment will identify with you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's, that's part of the reason that I wanted to 
start freelancing anyway is because, you know, at jobs, you, you just get stuck with the people at the company that are already there, blah, blah, blah. And freelancing, you have to go out and there's a lot of responsibility to find clients. But if you don't want to work with somebody, then you, you can just say no. You can look for those ideal client fits and people that, you know, you'd want to go have a drink with, you know, or go have dinner with, you know, that's, those are the type of people that you can. And I feel like it's funny because that's one of the biggest benefits I see to being a a freelancer, independent contract, whatever, you know, uh, scope you're, you're doing that. And, but I feel like a lot of people end up, uh, you know, just feeling like they have to take clients or working with people they don't like to, I've spoken with several people around the the market here and they they stick with local market or they do, you know, networking events, things like that. But one of the things that I do love about uh, podcasting is it does really expand your reach. It does really expand who you're talking to. People are going to seek you out if they're interested in your topic. I mean, putting yourself out there in that way and attracting a bigger uh, group of people is going to, if you utilize that to get more leads, then you can ultimately work with more people you want to anyway, right? Yep. Yep, absolutely. And the thing is, is you can, if you know who that target market is, you can tailor it all the way down to the way that people approach the work. And so, you know, you just talk about it in those terms and the the people who aren't going to identify with it are probably not going to be as likely to come and hire you. And the people who do identify with it and are your ideal customers, if you're making an effort to speak directly to them, they're going to be the ones that come along. That's That's very important, I think, because the tagline on my website was professional enough. Mm -hmm. Like why? Because I, you know, I, I can function in a professional environment. I, you know, I am professional enough, but I'm also, uh, I, I have a military background. I don't pull punches. I tell it like it is most of the, you know, I, I, that's, that's my style. And some people can't handle that or think that I'm abrasive or, and you know what, instead of, uh, trying to cater to everybody, I would rather just be myself. And those people that are, you know, like, Oh, okay, well, this guy's going to give me an honest opinion, right? The people that value that most, those are the people that I'm going to jive well with. I'm yeah. not always right. I'm not, I don't pretend to be that, but I, I'm going to shoot you straight, right? That's, I'm going to give you my perspective. And, you know, it's, it would be very disingenuous of me to be that way and not put some of that into my YouTube videos and content and, you know, even my personality on this show. Right. Yep. And your, your, uh, your customers are actually going to have a problem with that. If they come to expect a certain style of communication from you because they listen to your podcast and then they get an abrupt change once they're a customer. Yeah. I mean, that would be, cause there's like a one-sided trust that I've heard you guys, you know, a lot of people on podcasts and there's this, this one-sided trust, even when you speak at conferences where people, they feel like they know you after that. Right. And you've never met them. You've never heard them talk, but they feel like, and, and so it's, it's very interesting to see that play out. If you're, if there is like, uh, you know, a a big gap there between how you are perceived and how you actually are, that's going to come out and your customers are going to feel alienated a little bit, I'd imagine. Yep, absolutely. And it's, it's funny to me too, because yeah, um, I, I hear that all the time. The, I feel like I know you. And I mean, there, there are people that I honestly, I've never met them. But the, the flip side of that, that uh, approach is, is that, that, I mean, that's the selling proposition. I feel like I know you is, is code for, I trust you. And so if you have something that I want, I will probably come and buy it from you. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I felt like I knew you before, uh, before we started doing a podcast together, for sure. Yep. So as far as starting a podcast, I think that's the other uh, issue, right? Is that people are like, okay, well, how do you start a podcast? Yeah. What do you, what do you do like to record it or? um... So there are a lot of things to know uh, regarding this. I mean, essentially the basics of podcasts are you need a website, you need an RSS feed, you need some album artwork and you need decent audio quality and that's it. And so setting up the website is more or less uh, commonly understood as, you know, you set up a WordPress setup. I mean, you can, you can set up other stuff, right? I mean, our website runs on a static site generator. If you don't know what that is, just use WordPress. 
um, which isn't a static site generator, but we use our use it because it it makes the pages load fast, and because I have a technical background and I can actually work on it myself and maintain it without spending a ton of time on it, right? Yeah. And I was trying to um, use my technical expertise to make WordPress play ball anyway, and so it just it, it wound up to for me to be less work. But for you, you just set up WordPress, you find a theme you like. Uh, WordPress will manage your RSS feed for you. So that's, you know, that's done. And then, yeah, you've got to get some artwork done and record shows and that's it. Um, as far as recording shows go, that, I mean, that's what you asked, right? How do you record this? So since we're talking over the internet with multiple people, we needed a conference calling solution. And so we're using Zoom. Um, now I could tell you all the things I don't like about Zoom. I could tell you why I don't particularly love their audio quality. It's good enough, but it, yeah, I've been doing this for so long that I want it to sound amazing. And, you know, um, it doesn't sound as amazing as I would, you know, like it to. And essentially what it comes down to if you're an audio person is Zoom compresses the audio, so you lose information. And so it's just not as clear and crisp of a sound. But like I said, it's it's good enough. So if you're doing something like this, you, what we've done is we just set Zoom up to record to the cloud and then we download the cloud recording and we do editing on it. But honestly, you don't even have to edit it. I mean, if somebody says something like majorly dumb or that just doesn't sound good, because a lot of times what happens is people want stuff edited, but it's not because they said something that was terrible. They just said something that was slightly inarticulate and they felt like they could say it better. Yeah, um, yeah. So you just you just mark those points. You just have to know where they are in the recording. Um, in Zoom, you just put a note in the chat and the chat timestamps correspond to the audio timestamps and then you can go edit it. But you don't even ha have to hardly do that. And then, you know, you can get some intro music off of Audio Jungle for 10 to $15. And then you have intro and outro music. That's done. Um, I'm not going to lie. I spent like an hour and a half one day on GarageBand just making my intro music for my YouTube videos. And it was awesome. It was a total waste of time. And it was probably like people are, if you ever watch my YouTube videos, you're going to be like, I, I can't believe it took you that long. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. But the thing is, is like, I, I think everybody needs some leisure time. So as long as you have a realistic view on, Hey, look, this is a total waste of time, but I'm going to be unwinding while I do it. Right. So it's time you're spending on that instead of, um, you know, watching Game of Thrones or something, then, you know, whatever. If you're doing it because you don't want to pay somebody to do it, you've got to realize that it's going to cost you less to pay somebody to do it than it would cost you on your hourly rate or what what jobs you're passing up on finding because you're not out there prospecting and marketing. Also, so, Brad, sure. Brad yeah. you think the music is good, but you made it. So I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just I saying. Heard it, so I'm not yeah. gonna pass judgment. <laughs> hey, I think it's awesome. All right, I think it's awesome. Yeah, but see, that's the thing too, and that's the beauty of podcasts and um, YouTube and stuff like that is that um, you can make it yours, right? It's your yeah. content. It's you, right? And so, down to the music in your case, Brad, it's you. And, and that that's actually a really terrific and awesome thing about putting content on the internet. Yeah. And one, one other call out with this or any other kind of content strategy, because podcast is just another form of content and you want to put yourself in it. Like I was talking about earlier for the authenticity part, but you also like, if you're not having fun with it, then if it's not, and you're not getting noticeable results out of it after a set period of time, you know, like when you're getting started, uh, if podcasting is like the way that you want to do the content, that's great. And it can be really easy to record podcast episodes, which is awesome, right? Writing articles can be exhausting and time consuming and, you know, doing YouTube videos, there's more editing and, and, and pieces that go into it. So it's a great mm -hmm. way, I think, to get your content out there just starting out. And there's a very low barrier to entry. Um, but you know, it, I think it's important whatever channel you pick first that you're proud of it and that you want to keep doing it because consistency, and I've heard this a billion times and I've seen it myself, 
consistency is way more important because even if you feel like your first 10 or 20 episodes really suck, then you're going to get better if you keep doing it. And if it's fun for you to keep doing it, then they're going to improve. And, you know, I I can't remember how many videos I put out on YouTube, but the first ones I was like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe I'm going to publish this. I can't even believe I'm going to hit, you know, I'm going to display this to the world. But, you know, my videos have gotten a lot better and they keep getting better. And I just keep getting more and more views from it. It is that flywheel effect once you get it spinning. But it's not going to do that if you're not consistent and it's not fun and you don't have that reason to keep keep doing it. Yep, I agree. So I'll keep messing around on GarageBand. All right, yep. go Fair for enough. it. But, but it is one of those <laughs> things. I mean, I've had a few people say, oh, you sound so natural on podcasts. And, I, and you know, I, especially if I'm a guest on somebody else's podcast, they're like, man, this was awesome and it went really smoothly. And, you know, you kind of had a feel for how to riff off of what I was talking about. And, and I just look at them and I'm like, well, I've recorded nearly a thousand of these, right? And so that's the whole point is just keep trying. If you're enjoying it, keep doing it. Um, You know, it's funny too, because people get all kinds of worried about, yeah, the quality or the, I mean, all kinds of stuff they get worried about. And the reality is, is, you know, you keep trying, you keep learning, get feedback, and then just keep coming back to it. And it honestly, it's not terribly hard to get decent quality audio, depending on, even with a low budget, right? So you can get a decent microphone for $60. You just get the Blue Yeti is the one that I recommend. That's kind of at the lowest end. Um, Blue Snowball's okay. It's not my favorite mic. Uh, yes, I am picky. Um, your the microphone on your computer is probably not going to cut it for high quality audio. My favorite mic at probably the best price is the ATR twenty one hundred, and it'll connect to an XLR plug. If you're not familiar with microphones, it's the three pronged plug that goes into the back of most PA systems. But the ATR twenty one hundred does both that and USB, and then um, Windows and Mac come with software that will allow you to record directly to your computer. And then if you're on Linux, depending on your distribution, your Linux distro and, you know, where all that winds up landing for you, you, you know, you can, I'm sure you can install software that you can record to because, because Linux is coming along very nicely in a lot of these areas for general consumption. And so, you know, just to kind of speak to that for a minute. So you're, you just record it to your computer. Um, like I said, you don't have to do a ton of editing. I mean, once, once you get to a certain point, certain level of sort of professional feel, then, you know, maybe you do. But the flip side is, is that if you leave the little hiccups in, in and the way that you talk and your quirks in, it gives people a little bit more of a feel of who you are, right? So your yeah. kid walks in the office in the middle of it and you kind of have a little fun with it on the show instead of editing it out, you, you can get some mileage out of that too because then people get to see you as a person. And so, yeah, all of that stuff goes together. But ultimately, yeah, I mean, those are the microphones that I recommend. Um, I mean, my microphone probably will cost three times any, what any of the microphones that I recommended on this show. But I use it all the time. I'm recording eight to... 10 or 12 episodes a week. And so I want to sound great no matter where I'm at or what I'm doing. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a different story. And if you have the budget for it and you want to do it, go for it, but don't feel like you have to, right? Go, go pick up the 60 or $70 microphone and do that. Or another one that you can do is you can get boss jock radio boss jock studio on your iPhone. It's iPhone only. I'm sure there's something similar on the Android. And then your uh, ear pods that come with your iPhone have a decent mic on it. Just make sure it's not rubbing against your shirt, right? And you can get started that way. It's not going to sound super great, but it's definitely a way for you to say, hey, I was, you know, I had a few minutes and I wanted to just record a short note for, for you know, for the listener and then, you know, riff on whatever you're going to riff on. Yeah, I think that it's a pretty important. People, even if you just get any microphone, I got a $20 mic off Amazon or something when I got started. And the sound quality was not, I mean, I'm not an audiophile to begin with, but the sound quality went from 
you know, noticeably not great to acceptable. And I think that's the big thing is you just need to make sure that it's not awful. That's a, that's a big thing. People will not listen to a podcast that is like that annoying to listen to. Yeah, but generally they quit listening because there's a ton of noise on the recording, you know, so static or what have you, or they'll quit listening because you're hard to understand or something like that. Um, once you kind of pass that basic threshold, then it's much less of an issue because at that point, then if they're dropping out, they're dropping out because of the content and not because of the quality. Yeah, but I've quit listening know. to shows because the quality was so bad. Even though I loved the content, I just I couldn't take it anymore. Um, so, so you recorded your podcast. Where where do you take it from there? I mean, I assume put it up right. on your site and it hits the RSS feeds and right. So you have to have an RSS feed and you have to have a place to store your audio. And um, a lot of people kind of get they get a little bit worried or they make uh, kind of a basic mistake. So they, they, you know, they're like, well, where do I store it? So it'll work. Uh, the company that I recommend right now is Buzzsprout. That's at buzzsprout.com. And uh, they, they'll do the hosting and manage your RSS feed for you. And that's probably one of the better places to go. Uh, you can also use Libsyn or Blueberry. They've been around longer, but neither of their user interfaces are that friendly in my opinion. So anyway, um, yeah, if I, if I had to pick, I would send you to Buzzsprout. Um, I'm working on a SaaS product that will actually manage all this stuff for you too, but it's not ready. Um, if you're listening to this um, mid 2020, there's probably at least a beta version out at that point, but right now there's nothing that people can actually use. So um Anyway, that, that's where I would go to host the audio. The classic mistake that people make uh, that I'm talking about is that if they're using like shared hosting or they have a, a virtual private server, you know, they have a server in the cloud basically, is they put it on the server with their website. And the problem is, is that, that then the majority of the bandwidth that's used on your website is going to be audio files and RSS feed and not, not your actual content. And, uh, you know, companies like Buzzsprout and stuff have things designed to actually work, you know, and, and handle the traffic that you're going to be getting. So that's why I'm recommending that you go with one of those for something like that. And then, um, yeah, and then you just, you know, you get a player and you put it on your website and that's it. Um, there's a plugin that will do a lot of that stuff. It's called PowerPress. It's written by the folks over at Blueberry, and that's Blueberry with no E's in it, so B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. Um, and, uh, you know, they've got great folks over at Blueberry. I just don't love their product as much. Um, and I'm good friends with uh, Rob Walsh over at uh, Libsyn, and we argue about why I don't prefer Libsyn. So um, anyway, that, so that's the direction I would go. Uh, Buzzsprout's relatively inexpensive and they scale up really nicely and they give you a lot of, of tools for uh, putting together and promoting your podcast. So um, start with them. And then if for some reason that's not what you're looking for, then you can move, right? That's not that difficult. So do, does Buzzsprout handle getting it into like the different players, like the iTunes? So you have to submit that stuff yourself to get it into the different podcast directories. But um, Buzzsprout does have essentially a help page for that. Okay. And so it's, you need to submit it to iTunes. Here's the link, right? You need to yeah. submit it to Google Play. Here's the link. You need to submit it to Spotify. Here's the link, right? And then the, those, those sites just listen to your RSS feed. So it's Yes, one you submit your RSS that. feed to them. And then they, yeah, they, they do the work to actually uh, pull all the episode data in. What, um... What do you look for? I mean, besides obviously, you know, the, the point of this is to get leads and uh, then get clients from it. But when do you know that you have a decent, what's a decent number of listeners or listens or downloads? How do you? Yes, yeah, good question. Um, it's funny because I talk to people in dif different industries and everybody kind of has a different take on this. And that's what makes it a good question, right? Uh, and uh, 
and not that the other questions are bad questions. They're just easy questions. And it's not something to really think hard about. Cause it's like, Oh, here's the answer. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood. And I just launched my book, the Max Coder's guide to finding your dream developer job. It's up on Amazon. We self published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's guide to finding your dream developer job. Have a good one. Max out. So most podcasts don't even get to like 500 listens. So if you're listening to five or six, if you're getting five or 600 listens every week, you're probably within the top 50, 40, 50% of shows, right? You get over a thousand to 1500 and you're in the top 20, 20%. And so, yeah, you know, you, you get an idea pretty fast, you know, that, you know, you're, you're up there, you know, most of our shows, um, our shows on a, are probably average out across the entire network, probably somewhere in the four to 5,000 listener range. Wow. Okay. And so, you know, we're, we're in the top like 5% for the majority of our shows. And, you know, we're, we're in the top couple of spots for each category that we're in. So, yeah, so that, that'll kind of give you an idea. But honestly, if I were a freelancer and I was reaching 200 you know, 100 to 200 people in my industry, you know, in my target market, and they were coming to me and listening to my show, and I was getting enough work off of it, I'd be happy with that. Right, it just doesn't matter at that point. Yeah, yeah, right. So it's really down to what, you know, what you're trying to get out of it. Um, If you're looking for sponsors, I mean, most, most companies won't even look at you until you have a few thousand listeners, unless you're in their direct market space and they know that you're talking directly to the, you know, in other words, you're, you would be able to do for them what you're doing for yourself. So that's, that's interesting. So I'm not as familiar with like, I, I think about how I find podcasts and I go on and like, I, I go for generic categories, right? That's right. honestly how I even found the, the freelancer show. Uh, initially I was like going after, you know, freelance podcasts, which what's out there. So do you have any tips? Because my experience with like YouTube videos is that I went for a specific entry point video, like my, my video that I wanted to, to get a lot of attention. I had like, um, you know, specific title, I had a specific subject, I went after that to kind of get an entry point, like a very specific video. So that when people typed in, a, you know, uh, a phrase that it would rise to the top. Right. And so I, I was able to get, you know, pretty high up on the search results for this video. Um, is, are, do you have any tips for getting found? Like with your, when you, you're starting off on a podcast, it, does it help to be extremely specific about your subject or, you, you know, what, it, what does that look like? Right. So, um, app store optimization is essentially S, uh, SEO, right? It's, it just applies to the app store. So if I was Googling it, I would actually, instead of like Googling SEO for podcast, if I put app store optimization, is that going to get me? If you, you're going to get a lot of stuff for um, promoting apps. your apps, not your podcast, right? Yeah. Um, I think some of the same algorithms get applied. Um, okay. So, you know, you're probably safe-ish there, but most of the app store optimization stuff are actually tools that help you rank well for your app in the app store, right? Um, what gotcha. I found is, is that if you can get people to talk about your podcast, you're more likely to grow your podcast. And our formats on devchat.tv kind of lend themselves that way because we invite the people we want talking about our shows on as guests on our shows. And what that does then is then we let them know, and I'm probably going to be doing this this morning, right? So I was on Grant Ingersoll's podcast. I can't even remember what it's called, but it comes out this morning. As we record, this has probably come out already, right? And so my team and I, we're going to be, you know, promoting it because we want people to hear me and, um, you know, and, and associate good things with the brand. So yeah, so if you can get guests that will promote it, that have audiences that you think you can borrow people off of, then that's a really, really good way to grow your, grow your podcast and, you also get terrific content off of that. So it's yeah, that's a win-win. Podcast version of, uh, you know, content or blogging, guest blogging on, yeah, you know, a popular blog. Yeah. Well, and it's more natural, right? Because you can guide the conversation into what your audience is going to want. And all they really have to do is talk about it. 
And so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's a real easy win that way. So that that's one way. Um, if you can get people to talk about it at conferences, so if you go speak at the conference or um, you know hand out stickers at the conference or things like that, where you can get people who are getting together, right? You can also, I know some uh, meetups have um, remote guests, right? And so you essentially jump on something like this Zoom call that we're doing, right? And uh, you just present through the computer to them. Again, you know, you're, you're getting in front of them and then afterward they can talk about, you know, and all the people who know who you are already, they kind of show up and they're in the know and, you know, they kind of get some, you know, I, I know people who do this, right? So after the talk, it's like, well, you know, I reached out to Chuck because he, he does the podcast that I really enjoy. And so that's how we got uh, him on, right? Is that I got in contact with him. And then people are talking about, oh, okay, so you know him. So you, you know, you have this kind of relationship. And I mean, this happened the other day, right? I had a friend of mine that I worked with this several years ago, and this isn't podcast related, it's actually book related. But he, he sent me a message on Facebook and he's like, do you know John Sonmez? And I'm like, yeah, I talk to him pretty regularly. And he's like, oh, well, he mentioned you in his book. And I'm like, oh, well, which book is that? I knew which book it was. Um, you know, and he's like, oh, well, it's the ultimate software developer career guide. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, but I, I gained some status by knowing John because that's where this particular person is at the time. And so, you know, if, if people are saying, oh, well, there's a whole bunch more content in this area on this subject at this podcast, then you get that kind of word of mouth. And that's normally going to happen at users groups and um, meetups, maybe in forums uh, and conferences. So you can, you can uh, get some lift there. But um, initially for like Ruby Rogues and some of the other shows, we got a lot of lift just because people were telling their friends about it. They tell their coworkers about it, stuff like that. So, yeah, I guess, I guess one of my biggest, uh, what I see as the biggest hurdle is, is to consistently be able to create content, um, new, new things to talk about. I think that would be a challenge. I'm yeah. Sure I've, I've heard that from a number of people. And to, if, to be perfectly honest, um, my answer to that is primarily look, Pick a topic for your podcast that you honestly can't shut up about. You know, it's the thing that um, when you and your friends get together or whatever, you know, it's it's kind of the natural subject that comes up. Or, you know, it's the thing that you just, you know, you get in a room and everybody knows you're going to be talking about that thing because it's your thing. And you you won't run out of content. The other thing is, is that people are like, well, I can only come up with, you know, four or five um, topics to start out with. And my answer to that is usually along the lines of, okay, well, put a notebook in front of you when you record your first episode. And when you mention something and you think to yourself, I should do an episode on that too, write it down. And after three episodes, you're going to have 10 more ideas. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think... Yeah, for me doing Ionic development, I could talk about Ionic development all day. That would be fine. You know, progressive web apps yep. and, and all of that. I don't know if I could do it for people who, uh, for a podcast, where, for people who hire Ionic developers. Yeah, but see, that's, that's the kicker, right? Is that you don't want to do a show about Ionic development. No, I don't. And you yeah. don't want to do a show for people who are going to hire Ionic developers because they're not thinking about it. In no, those that's terms. true. Yeah. They're thinking about it in, in terms of, I need a, I need a mobile app. Yeah. Right. Maybe able to niche that down a little bit. I need a mobile app and I use angular or view or react because Ionic now supports all three. Yeah. I use web technologies and I want my mobile app technology stack to match my web technology stack. And so right. then what you can do is you can basically create a mobile development show where you're talking about getting into the app store and promoting your app because those are problems that all these people are going to want to solve, right? How do I make my app usable for the people who are used to using the website? How do I make my app blah, 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 right? And how do I get it into the app store? How do I, you know, promote it outside of the app store? You know, and so you talk about all of these other issues 
around building mobile apps. And then you mentioned on a regular basis that you build mobile apps and that the advantage to your approach is that their tech stack for their mobile app is going to line up with their tech stack for their web app. And so at some point, um, you can actually hand it off to their web team if you ever get to that point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, that's the, that's the selling point of Ionic, right? It's, right. But you're making it your selling point, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to be working in technologies that your team already understands. Yeah. Okay. So, so that makes sense. So it's all the, it's all the other stuff that comes with developing an app is what the podcast. Right. So you have to think about your target market, right? And so your target market is going to be either like the VP of engineering or the VP of growth or something like that, right? Yeah. And so when the VP of engineering and the VP of growth go to lunch and they're talking about how do we get people in using mobile apps, what are they going to be asking each other about? Answer all of those questions. Yeah. There's a lot and to a talk about there. A lot of that has there. nothing yeah. to do with building the app. Yeah. And that's fine, right? So you can actually go find experts in those areas and bring them onto your show. And then what right. you wind up doing is you wind up asking them all the questions that they're going to ask. And then you turn it around and you could you say, okay, well, I build these mobile apps. So how do I support that in the way that I build the app? And then all of a sudden, you're having a conversation where they're providing more expertise. But you're, you're at the same time speaking to what your expertise is and giving people an idea of, okay, he's not just a mobile app developer who's going to grind out a bunch of code but he actually gets it, right? He gets what we're trying to do. And so when I hire him, I can connect up all of this other stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. So after we get, you know, to the point where we're in front of our ideal audience, one of the like challenges with doing YouTube videos, and I'm guessing it's similar with podcasts, is that how do you, how do those people, because at that point, it's basically up to them to take the next step, right? So they're right. going to have to go to your website or reach out to you or is that, are there other ways to like optimize that uh, kind of interaction to make it easier on them to reach out to you? Uh, how do you do that? A lot of that is just going to boil down to what's the most natural thing for them, right? If you can get them onto your website, uh, you know, a lot of people opt for getting them then onto their mailing list. It's a very common way to go and it's very effective, right? And so what you can say is you can actually offer them some incentive, something free, something useful, you know? So, you know, you could say, hey, if you're interested in, you know, how you can get all of your tools to integrate neatly with Salesforce, then go to mysalesforceexpert.com and enter your, 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 your name and email address and then I will send you a two-week email course on, you know, how to design the interactions between your uh, solutions. And that way you get them on the mailing list and then you continue to send them messages after those two weeks. And as you do that, then you continue to build more trust, but now you have a way of actually reaching out. And so then periodically you say, hey, you know, uh, I build these integrations. Do you need one? Right? Here's how you get on my schedule for a consultation. Or you can just offer the consultation directly on your podcast. I would probably do both. I would probably opt a little bit more toward getting people onto your mailing list because you can continue to follow up. But the flip side of it is, is that, yeah, periodically you're going to have people who are listening to your podcast who are already ready to buy. You don't have to prime them through email. And so then you just give them a link Say, hey, if you want a consultation, just go to mysalesforceexpert.com. By the way, folks, I, th that's not necessarily Brad's website. I'm just making that URL up. But mysalesforceexpert.com slash um, consult consultation. And, you know, you can, book an, you can book a time on my calendar right there. And then you, you know, then they're going through Calendly or schedule once or what have you to get on your schedule. And, and then you can do the follow-up after the, you know, the consultation. Um, so you can do a lot yeah. of that stuff and just make it really easy and simple for them to do it. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, it's, uh, pretty similar to how I've utilized YouTube videos because it all is all about like, what I like about it too, is I I'm very kind of laid back about this. I could probably be more aggressive than pursuing leads, but, uh, yeah, the, this, I kind of 
am glad that I do it the way that I do, because I really want people to want to reach out to me at that point. And uh, I, I haven't really stood up an email list yet. Uh, I, I've done that in the past and I have like a little bit of a following, but, uh, you know, mainly, uh, I, I think about the intent there and I really want people just to, to have a phone call with me if they're interested in working with me. So I just put that as the, the main option, right. And schedule a call. Um, yeah. But, the, the only feedback I have on that is that you're then counting on them to keep coming back to consume your content. And if you're doing something in the way of, of email, then you're pushing the content to them. Right. And so the barrier to entry is opening their email and opening your email to them instead of come back to YouTube and come watch the next video. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah. I think that, um, I think that when you, when you look at your pipeline, you have to kind of evaluate that for yourself, right. And say, okay, do I want to, you know, uh, like how easy do I want to make it for people to reach out to me and what are the, the effects there? Because being able to reach back out to people and remind you that you exist, uh, is important, especially early on in the lead process, right? Yeah, but I would I would find some form of doing push, and email seems to be the most common and most effective. You can also do push notifications on your website, and and we use that as well. We use a tool called Subscribers. dot com, and it works really really well. And but people have to opt in on the browser, and you know people do, but you know it anyway that's what I would be doing. Um, another version yeah. of this that may also work for you is to create Alexa briefs. And so essentially you take your 10, 20, 30 minute podcast and you, you know, pull clips or give a summary for a minute and a half. And then you, you know, you can create a separate RSS feed, submit it to um, Amazon and then people can add your feed to their brief. And then what they can do is they can say, Alexa, play my, uh, briefs and then it'll, you know, so maybe they have like a stock brief and a business brief and a tech news brief and yours. And so it'll, it'll just play through all of them while they're brushing their teeth or whatever. There are a lot of ways to do it. But the thing is, is as much as possible, if you can get push and you can get, the thing I like about the email too, is that you have, you have information you can use to reach out to them. Yeah. You can't, uh, you can't just start talking to their Alexa, but yeah. That'd be weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's definitely uh, one, one thing. Once they do schedule a call, then I follow up with them pretty regularly and just like check in with them and see where, they, where they're at in their journey. I've, I've found that I get a lot of engagement out of the people that do that um, versus when I did an email list, I would get maybe a 10% response rate. But since the people that I'm uh, contacting have already talked with me on the phone, I've found mm-hmm. that I get a like really high response rate back from my emails. So yeah. somewhere in like the 70% range. So yeah, one other thing that I'm just going to put out there is that um, I've been doing a lot of uh, sponsorship prospecting. And so I have a I have an email sequence that I send to people. And what I found is that I probably get what a one to 2% um, like schedule a call throughput on the initial email. And then I also then wind up having a, you know, it usually around five or six, I have a small bump and around eight or nine outreaches is when I really hit them is when I have the other large bump. So it's either right at the beginning or like nine or 10 emails in. And so the other thing you have to realize is that you, you really do have to touch them a bunch of times, you know, so it may be listening to your podcast. So they subscribe, they listen for 10 weeks and then they're kind of on board. Or it may be that they listen to your podcast for three or four weeks and then they get on your mailing list and you know they catch two or three more podcast episodes while you hit them three or four more times on your email list. And so by having all of these different touch points, you're essentially shortening the process for them to begin to trust you enough for you to be able to email them and say, uh, do you need my help? And then them to say, yes, let's schedule a consultation. Yeah, that's funny because that's almost exactly in line with uh, what is laid out in uh, Jill Conrad's book, Selling to Big Companies. She talks about that like eight to 10 touch point rule that if yeah. you're not consistently, you know, getting to that point where you're sending, you know, that many touches out or following up that many times that people are going to, you know, fall off. 
but that's a really good call out. Yeah, I haven't read that book. I bought it, but I haven't read it yet. So it's pretty good. I, I highly recommend. Cool. I think that was a huge topic that we covered. Yeah, and there's there's definitely more to cover. <laughs> the thing is, is that I've been doing this for so long that sometimes oh, yeah. I don't know what's relevant to people and you know what's gonna be the quick easy win versus the you know the the thing that's gonna, you know, for people who are already doing it, what's gonna take them to the next level. So if you yeah. have specific questions, just email me, Chuck at devchat.tv. Um, I'm also putting together a workshop that's going to run March 9th through sometime in May. Um, and we'll help you get your website or your podcast set up and help you figure out how to, you know, get the message out there that you want to get out there. So um, just go to devchat.tv slash workshops and uh, it's listed there and you can go sign up for it. Awesome. All righty. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Brooks, do you want to start us with picks? Yeah, sure. So my my guilty pleasure lately has been uh, the show Vikings. Uh, I've been watching that. It's on Hulu, but I, I think it's for I free. It's on... good. Yeah, it is good. It's uh, I I kind of watched it thinking it was wasn't going to be that great, you know. And I started it like I just wanted some garbage TV to zone out to, but it's actually it's <laughs> it's uh it's really good. Um, and also they have amazing. All the characters have amazing viking names so that's like half the fun is um just the different uh i guess scandinavian names are they're they're really cool um so yeah that that's my pick awesome brad do you have some picks for us yeah i'm gonna pick the uh i didn't realize that i had i used um bluehost to to set up wordpress mainly because of john sonmez which is hilarious uh-huh. but uh i i set that up um and uh, I realized that I was using the the plugin uh, PowerPress, so uh, I've got that installed. I haven't used it yet. My uh, I haven't gotten to the point where I started stripping the audio from my YouTube videos and just putting them on there for podcast content, basically recycling it. Uh, and then you know being John able does to, that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, but you know, and I think recycling your content that's that's a big thing. Um, so I'm going to pick that PowerPress. If you're using WordPress, it's literally, you know, you just install it like any plugin and, and you're up and running pretty quickly. Um, and then maybe I will send a, uh, a link to my YouTube channel so everybody can check out the uh, intro music and give me feedback. See if anybody else is jamming out to it. Yep. All right. I'm going to throw out a few on my own as well. Um, so the ATR2100 microphone is definitely a pick. Really, really love that. Buzzsprout, also a pick. And uh, I'm sure I have other picks related to podcasting, but those are kind of the biggies for you. And then um, if you want art, artwork done, just email me, Chuck at devchat.tv, and I'll send you a referral to the guy that I do it. I don't have a website for them. I just, I will just essentially send you an email back and CC them, and then you can get it done. Um, but they, they've been really great, and they've done a lot of our artwork. So, um, I'll pick those and uh, yeah. And then devchat.tv slash workshops for that podcasting workshop. And that's it. So we'll go ahead and wrap this up. We'll have another one next week. And in the meantime, folks, max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.